Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 125 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. I'm Gary, and I'm here with Byron. How are you today, Byron? Gary, I, I think I'm doing pretty good. We're actually recording this on Gary's birthday, but uh, so I think we did it last year. I think I remember talking about that last year, and, and you're not real big on making a big deal out of birthdays, but happy birthday, well, Gary. Well, well, I am, but Byron keeps scheduling stuff for birthday, <laughs> so I can't even have any free time. Thanks, Byron. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm rough on him. I got to gotta, you know, keep keep pushing and, and driving him to, to, to get on here every week. Note to self, don't let Byron know when my birthday is next year and maybe he'll let me have the day off. Yeah, Gary, yeah. with this special birthday episode, what do we have this week? Well, this week, Byron, for my special birthday episode, we have an interview with Roy Dean. Uh, you definitely don't want to miss that one. Uh, it's going to be an awesome interview. And uh, as usual, we have our uh, jambalaya of topics to discuss, our article of the week, our, uh, what do you call it, quote of the week. So we got it all going today. Mm, and you're talking about jambalaya, Gary, so uh, it just sounds delicious. Well, I thought you were going to make me some since it's my birthday. I did. It's over here right now because I guess maybe not everybody realizes, but we're Gary and I do this over Skype. So uh, I'm over here with my nice bowl of jambalaya, and Gary, he just got done. He just got back from the gym. So uh, I'm sitting here with a protein bar and a bottle of water. Thanks, Byron. <laughs> you're welcome, Gary. It is delicious over here. Part of our jambalaya mix today, Gary, is uh, that we should mention our audiobook that we have for sale. It's called Your First Year of BJJ, or maybe it's NBJJ. Uh, it's just basically me uh, talking to you. It's an audiobook and uh, walk you through some of the hurdles and things you could expect during your first year of grappling. So uh, if, if that applies to you, we would be honored if you uh, would, would check the book out, and uh, hopefully it would be uh, beneficial to you. It's uh, got good reviews so far, and I think I cover a lot of topics that will help you uh, have a smooth first year, and that's one of our goals. So it's called Your First Year in BJJ, or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, if you're that new to it. And it's eleven ninety nine, and it's available for download. You can find that on the BJJ Brick, or just BJJBrick.com, and uh, we're yeah, on the show notes. So don't miss it. Uh, we've been getting a lot of good reviews on that, and as awesome as Byron is, as a podcaster, he's even better in his audio book of guiding you through your first year. So definitely check it out. Also, you don't ever want to miss this show. Um, the easiest way not to miss this show is to get on our email list. Um, just put your name and your email address in there. We will uh, send you a link to our show note to a, the show every week. So uh, you will never miss an episode and you'll always be on top of uh, what's going on in the BJJ world. Yep. That's a, that's a good way that we are able to keep in contact with everybody. And as we always say, our little disclaimer, we do not spam your inbox. We actually don't send anything out with <laughs> <on> our show. <laughs> it's basically automatic. It, it it publishes every Tuesday automatically, and uh, I just leave it alone, right, Gary? Yep, yep. we say no to spamming. So, no uh, spamming. You don't have to worry about that. Yep, that's uh, Gary's taking a firm stance on that in life, and, and that's going to affect the way he votes this election. I can tell that. Yeah, you know, I don't like spammers or the Nigerian scammers or the IRS scammers who have been calling me two or three times a week trying to get me to uh, give them some money over the phone because they're going to arrest me. But I've been having fun. 
you know, talking back with those guys. That's true. Yeah, we'll have to mention this uh, after the whole interview and everything when we get sometimes get a little bit uh, off topic, but uh, Gary has played games with those people before. So, uh, no, they're calling me left and right <laughs> right now. And uh, so, I'm interested to learn more a little bit more about your uh, playing with the scam artist. So, but you know, I actually did talk to him about getting him on the show and uh, talking to him about how bad they rip people off. But the, the guy told me he can make up to $3,000 a day and, in quotes, I will never find him. There you, and you'll never find him. And speaking yep. about in quotes, Gary, I think this would be a good time to have our quote of the week. Every week Ooh, we like to – Great segue. Yeah. We like to present a, a quote, uh, just discuss it briefly and uh, and move on from there. Just Sometimes quotes are an interesting way to learn about the world around us. This quote yep, – what jiu-jitsu guy do we have a quote from this week, Byron? Mark Twain, none other than the, the legendary grappler Mark Twain. His quote this week, The secret of getting ahead is getting started. You know, simple but sweet and true. Yeah, how often do we put things off? Um, you know, it's we're well into the new year here, Gary, but um, I, I had a couple of conversations with people who were talking about doing a New Year's resolution in its December. And uh, my answer, talking in December about New Year's resolution is, why not start right now? Why are you going to wait till that calendar changes? Nothing actually changes for you. Start now. If it's important to you and you want to show it some seriousness, start it now. Yeah, why wait 10 months? Like you said, if it's important, start it now. (laughs) You've got to do it. We talk about it. We talk about everything, even like getting started in jiu-jitsu. How many people do you you hear tell you they're going to start it? They just got to get in shape and... Years go by and you see them again and they're like, boy, I wish I would have just started. Think how far they would be or, you know, anything in life. Just taking a jump at a new job, anything like that. Uh, you just got to do it. Yeah, I, and, and that's a common excuse is I got to get in shape first, then I'll go train. And I understand where they're coming from when I hear that, but I don't think it's a good thing to put off. Um, you, that You're already out of shape. You've already proven to yourself that uh, being in shape is a difficult thing. And I think one of the biggest reasons why it's difficult is because uh, a lot of times getting in shape is not an enjoyable process. And just by doing jiu-jitsu, sure, it'll be a little more uncomfortable because you're not as, not in tip-top condition. But step in there. You can learn the techniques. And as time goes by, you'll find a fun way to exercise, which is uh, better than that boring way of um, – which you tried before that you either lost interest in or, or uh, you know moved away from in the long run. So hopefully you know that, that common excuse – once I get in shape, I'm going to come in there and check it out. I want to go train. You know, the secret to getting ahead is to start. Just start. Don't put a shit off. There's no reason to, to push off grappling. Um, you know, some people, I guess, may need to check out with a doctor first. But are you checking with a doctor before you do other habits that are actually bad for you? You know, that's no. – uh, <laughs> But uh, start it. It, it could be – it doesn't have to be jujitsu related. It could be something at work or something with school or, you know, something with another person. If, if you want to get ahead in something or, or – or, or do something with your life, you know, start that thing. Don't wait till the calendar changes. Don't wait till the end of the week. Don't wait till Monday. Start it. Do what you can do to, to start that process now. Yep, if it's important, start it now. Um, Byron, you talked about New Year's resolutions. Uh, did you have one this year? I did not. And for the same reason that uh, I was lecturing people in December about why Just wait for your resolution, do it now. And, I, and I've, I've changed a few things. Since uh, maybe maybe late last year, uh, I've changed a couple of things I eat on a regular basis. I and uh, see, I've, I've started uh, walking or jogging, depending on 
at my mood, but I do get up every morning and I do one of the two. If I feel up for running, I'll go run. If not, I'll go take the dog for a, a half mile walk every morning. So a couple of things that I've, that I've started and I didn't wait till the calendar changed. And these aren't hard things. I don't look for that to change my, my big, my fitness in a big way, but it's just a way to kind of get me moving for the day. I mean, those are two little things yeah. I think I've done. I stopped drinking That's soda. Awesome. That's awesome. So how about you, Gary? Do you have any New Year's resolutions? Well, you know, I've never had a New Year's resolution. I've always been like you, uh, just whenever it's important, let's just do it. But this year I had a New Year's resolution. Nice. Um, I quit drinking. And uh, as of today, I'm basically, what, 59 days of stop drinking. And uh, when I say stop drinking, yeah. it's not alcohol. Okay. Pop. I'm a pop drinker. Well, I was a pop drinker. But I'm treating it like I'm uh, – yeah, it's an addiction. So I, I do tell myself uh, – you know how many days I've done it, and uh, my goal is to not even touch a single one for the whole year. No, not even just uh, like one time when I go out to go out to eat. I, I'm not even gonna not even gonna do it. So uh, I've just started drinking nothing but water and green tea. So uh, that is my resolution, and I, I you hear me on on the on the podcast. I'll keep it. Wow, Gary, this is um, I did not know this about about you in this year. I'm impressed, you and it's funny when we went to Bellator the other day that. <laughs> I didn't have you had a water. Drink water. Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah, we we did go to Bellator, and Gary was drinking a water. And usually yeah. they have a it was a Mountain Dew is your Mountain your drink Dew. of pop your drink of choice. So uh, you know, so I hate to jump into this even deeper, Gary. But I, if you do have a drink of of soda pop and and you know Mountain Dew or whatever happens, big deal. It you know, doesn't mean you need to have one tomorrow and the next me. day and the next. You don't need to have ten. You just say oh, I had a, had a freaking. Uh, you know, cold pop. You know, I had a Mountain Dew, and uh, back to my water uh, from here on out. I, though I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid that if I do have a drink, that uh, I will go back to it. It'll yeah. Turn into one, and uh, then I'll say, oh, "I cheated and have another one." Oh, since I cheated, let's have a third for the day, and then next week, <laughs> oh, let's have a cheat week, and it turns into a cheat month, and then I'm back to square yeah. one. Yeah. I no, I I under, understand that thought, but it's just if. I worry that people set such a a great goal like this, oh, yeah. and you go like yeah. six months, and you have you have a little bit just because you're thirsty, and nothing else is around, yep. and then you're done. But uh, I, Gary, you have a a big goal and a strong will towards this. I know that you you'll um, stick with it, and um, you know at the end of the year you, you'll hopefully evaluate maybe how you feel or what this has changed for you, and you know why stop when that calendar year changes if it's uh, made any difference for you. The only difference I see is I'm eating a lot more. Nice. But, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. But I can eat a lot more because uh, I was drinking a ton of calories. So oh. Not bad. Yeah. So you weren't even going. You were going full sugar, huh? Full. Oh yeah. I was drinking the hard stuff. Wow. Yeah. The hard stuff. We're so lame. <laughs> we, we talk about how drinking pop. That's funny. But uh, yeah, that's that's a you know just start. You know, just Gary decided to not do that, and here he is, and. uh he cut out a ton. That's a lot of calories you cut out, Gary. So a lot of calories. Yep. Problem is, I haven't lost any weight, but not that I'm actually looking to do that. Yeah, but you're yeah, with sugar. To. Your, your yeah, body just, processes that, and and yeah. and I'm thinking about this for myself too. Like putting a lot of sugar in my body, you know, I that's not a way to stay healthy. You know, like yeah. most people, a lot of people have diabetes when they get older, and I just gotta try to avoid that, buddy. Yeah, I just wasn't feeling good. Um, but Byron, I think we should hit uh, our article of the week. All right, Gary, what do we have? Hey, we've got an article from a uh, jiu-jitsu 
Net. Uh, we figured we'd go to the Star Wars theme. But uh, it's by uh, Nick Albin. We've had him on the show before. He's a black belt out of Kentucky. Um, I know we've used one of his articles before, too. So here's another article. We've had him on the show. Uh, but he's got an awesome article I saw the other day. Uh, this this one's from actually November 23rd, 2015. Uh, but it's called Getting Stuck in the Middle with Jiu-Jitsu. And basically, you know, he, he talks about, uh, you know, getting over the hump when we have issues. Um, you know, trying to uh, – the risk versus reward. You know, he talks about when you first start, everything's going okay. But then uh, – you know, it's it's tougher than you thought it would be. It's harder than you imagined. Um, you, you didn't think it was going to be this tough when you started. And at that point, you know, some people quit or, or they just uh, just get stuck. And uh, he's got a great article about uh, you know how to uh, how to get out from how how to get over that hump. You know, and, uh, so uh, he calls it getting out of the middle in BJJ. Yeah. So it's. Yeah. He's got a, uh, a great website, and uh, Chewie's got this picture of a uh, beautiful, like, I think it's a sunset, I would guess. Maybe it's a sunrise, and it's uh, – uh, maybe sunrise because it's on a boat. Uh, a picture, like, on a, on, a, on a canoe, open lake in front of you, uh, some hills and some trees and some, you know, the sun's coming out in the background. And he talks about uh, getting in a boat and heading out. And at a certain point, you know, the the, the trees on the – on the shore where you came from stop kind of getting small they just kind of they're back there and you can't tell each individual paddle that you're really moving all that much and you look into the into where you're going and it's really like it's not even moving at all so although you're continuing to paddle and, and to cross the the pond it just seems like you're not doing anything and uh, i like that the great analogy and, uh, and as i try to write articles sometimes i think about i never do that like use something from outside like this i mean it's a it's a good example to to, to be in a canoe and to paddle and to see like the shore just disappear and then it gets into the distance and you paddle some more and it seems to not have any effect and you're stuck in the middle you're stuck in that middle and then he gives you some tips Gary do you have any yep. of these tips that you like to yep. well before we go to the tips I just wanted to talk about how man you're a good storyteller <laughs> you started saying that so uh that was pretty impressive. You've got a uh, another uh, job if you ever need if you ever decide you don't like firefighting. Well, I get, got it from uh, Chewy's story, so. Uh. Yep. yep. But you know, uh, he talks about ways to uh, get out of that middle. Um, you know, to, when you're stuck in the middle, how to how to break through it. But first thing is is mix things up. Uh, you get stuck in the same patterns, using the same moves, with the same mindset over and over again. You need to you need a spark. You need to get some progress going in your game and grow in new areas. So, you know, get out of your comfort zone. You know, mix things up. Um, just you know, one of the ways to do that is change the way you roll. Um, let's say if you're always playing top game and just smashing people, maybe pull guard. Even if you're not a fan of pulling guard, work on the bottom. Work different stuff just to uh, get you out of that. Uh, get out. Get you out of that rut and. Uh, Maybe uh, put some more enjoyment back in there. Yeah, that that's a, a great way to change things up, and you know you, you could get you can get so much better at each technique you try. But as you uh, leave some things behind and you don't focus on things, you can get a lot better at those pretty quickly. Sometimes by uh, by finding areas in your game that that uh, that could use some work. Gary, can you think of a time when maybe? Um, for injury or for something else, you change the way you roll, and uh, it's been for the better. You know, I've had so many injuries on my legs, which uh, 
and legs and lower back, which, as you know, when I first started, I was always a top person, top person, you know, played the top game. And I remember one time when I hurt my uh, lower back and my hamstring, I really couldn't even do much. I, I had to start start on the bottom. And uh, basically what I would do is I would just work my guard, and I had no guard before that. And uh, pretty soon I got a, just from working that, I got a pretty decent guard. So uh, it always helps uh, just trying something different. Yeah, that's a, and that's a good example of uh, taking the injury and and working not like against it, but just working around it and continuing to get better. Another thing he talks about is going to a seminar and attempting to learn some new techniques. And this is kind of similar to changing the way you roll in that um, just change the stuff up. You know, you're you're really as you paddle this this boat, you're not really stuck. But if you could like maybe look differently at a different angle or some of that things will seem different for you and uh and you'll actually accelerate the learning in, in other areas yep um another thing he talks about is um uh compete sometimes you're, you're stuck you don't have a goal um which kind of hurts you a little bit and some people need that goal all the time so uh sign up for a tournament compete get you out of get you out of the rut yeah sometimes it'll just make you get in there and train hard and you get a goal you know, a month or two down the road that you're really working hard towards. So uh, sometimes competing will help. Yeah, and th- this next one here, uh, you might be a little surprised at. We're skipping a couple, but uh, one of the tips he has is take some time from BJJ. And uh, you first read this and say, no, don't take any time from BJJ. But really, uh, th- this will happen no matter what. You know, I, I had to, a few weeks ago, I had to take some time off from for uh, my back was acting up on me and a little sore. And when I came back, I was more excited, more eager to learn, and more, uh, you know, happy just to be there. I think that week away was fine. In, in, in the, you know, in the course of a few months, I won't be like less. Uh, I won't have lost anything from not training that week because of my motive, my motivation, and my appreciation of being there uh, peaked. You know, like I, you go to class three, four times a week. You forget how awesome it is. You miss a week. You're like, I need to go. This is going to be. And when you go, you have a great time every time after you've been gone for a little while. So, I think that's a interesting like way to trick yourself. And he does say, hey, keep track of your diet. You know, don't don't mess up in other areas. You know, but uh, but taking a little break purposefully. Uh, sometimes just if you're injured or maybe you got a new tattoo, you need to give it some some rest. Um, these are all things that could uh, actually not hurt you in the long run. And speaking of taking time off from BJJ. Byron and I, as Byron just said, he had a back injury. We kind of hurt our backs about the same time. Byron took a little time off, and uh, stubborn me just kept training through it. So Byron's back is totally healthy now, and uh, mine is not. (laughs) But it's not enough to keep me off the mats. But I was actually telling Byron last week or the week before, or actually I think it was when we were at Bellator, that I can't wait in a couple weeks. i got a vacation coming up. And... uh, I'm not even going to seek out a gym in town. I'm not even, I'm going to use that as my week off. And um, I'm still going to, you know, well, I guess I won't watch what I eat because I'm going to be on vacation. But <laughs> I will be hiking. Um, I will be hitting a hotel gym if they have one. Uh, if not, I'll be doing push ups and sit ups. But I'm just going to hike and just de stress and let my body heal that week. I'm still going to get my heart moving. But I, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I know it'll do wonders. I, and I try to, you know, every now and then take a week off. Um, you know, maybe once a year, just to uh, just to give my body a break, and and like Byron said, I always come back so excited. 
and it's like it's it's like missing your best friend. So uh, you're like, hey, I'm back. So uh, it's never a bad idea. But when he says take some time off, he's not talking about a year. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I agree. It's a little bit. It was not bad, but a lot uh, you will miss out in the long run if you take a lot. Yep. Um, and he has one last piece of advice: um, don't stop. And I know we've had this in numerous quotes. You know, just keep plugging away. You, you may take that week off. You may do a competition. You may train your game up. You may drill more. Uh, but whatever you do, keep going. Even the guy who trains one day a week, who's been training seven years, is a stud. Just as long as you never quit, you're, you're going to always progress. And he finishes off with, remember, it's not a race to the finish. You don't finish Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I thought that's awesome, that very yeah. last line. You don't finish Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I, I like the, the advice of don't stop. Gary, I'm reminded of uh, a time when I was a purple belt. I spent a lot of time uh, playing a certain type of guard. We're talking about over a year I played a particular type of guard. And at the end, end of this period i was evaluating it purple belt and this guard i'm i'm tapping out a lot of people i would tap out but i would tap out the white belts and the blue belts and occasional purple belt and then i would never get close to getting anything higher and, and really the purple belts largely could ignore what i was doing and so i evaluated like this is i need to not do this this guard anymore and uh and move away from this. And really that whole year, I've, tr- I've trained very hard. I focused on this. I, I spent a lot of time and energy. But that year, I really didn't improve the jiu-jitsu that I have now. Um, but I didn't stop training. I didn't let that be some big demotivating factor. I was like, okay, time to move on and, and find something else. And occasionally, somebody will put me in this guard, and I do just fine from the top of it because I've learned about it. But largely that year was kind of a – kind of didn't go anywhere. But uh, I was kind of stuck in the middle by my own – creation i guess but uh my own design but uh if you know no regrets i keep going you know keep paddling you'll get there you can tell byron is a much better podcaster than myself he actually said i was stuck in the middle you actually (laughs) put that into the line i like that you byron are my hero well gary i i uh now i feel stuck in the middle of this sentence myself gary so uh I see, I'm anything. stuck in the middle of this podcast. <laughs> you know, I see Byron. He's already cleared the other shore. He's in the third lake. I'm still halfway in the first lake. And, and uh, you know, Byron's he's just, you know, fading out. I can barely see him. But I'm trying to catch him. One day, I will not stop. I will not give up. Yep. And you'll, yeah, and you'll appear back on the shore, and I'll already have the fire going, and you'll just be able to walk in and have a good time. Well, the great thing is you'll already have the fire going, the shelter made, and some fish cooked. <laughs> so it actually works out best for me. All right. That's that. Uh, that's the way it's going to be, Gary, I suppose, if we I were suppose. to go canoeing and get confused and and stuck. But uh, yeah. all that aside, uh, great article. We skipped quite a bit. There's It's a, a lot of information there. It's on net, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, our good friend uh, Nick Albin, and we've got an interview with him as well. So uh, always a, a good time to, to read a little bit of his work there. Gary, we got uh, Roy Dean coming on the show here in a minute. Uh, he's got a, a new book that's out right now on uh, this website called Amazon.com. Have you heard about that? Amazon. Is that? Oh, that's like in Brazil, right? Yep. Yep. This is strictly a Brazilian website. Um, okay. Yeah. But if, you're, if you know how to do it, I think with a credit card and an address, you could get it from from the United States. 
Okay, perfect. So, but uh, his book is called "Becoming the Black Belt," and uh, it's really his story of being a martial artist and uh, his story off the mat. And I, I've read this book. Um, you get a Kindle edition; it's nine ninety nine, and uh, it's it's interesting to hear what was happening, you know, while he was training, and it was and at the same time. Uh, what was happening in his personal life and what was happening with work and, and the things he was doing. And I think that that's relatable. You know, you may not be doing the same type of things he did at work, but you are having to combine uh, two or three different aspects of your life and try to get things to work and just to see how he did it. And you get his complete story. Uh, and, uh, and and you will find parallels that you could uh, you could see with your own story. And, uh, and I got a lot from it. When I did the interview, I hadn't read the book yet, but now I have. Um, I read it. Uh, he emailed it to me, and I read it about a week, week after the interview. So I wish I'd read it beforehand so we could talk a little bit more in depth. But maybe it's better that I didn't so I could talk with like uh, somebody who uh, would be maybe interested in it. But I recommend the book. It's called Becoming the Black Belt by Roy Dean. And uh, we got the interview coming up. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. If you catch him in an armbar, don't forget to pry open his fist after he taps. There will be a small piece of paper with your fortune on it, and it's always correct. When he was a white belt, he put a small amount of glitter on his belt, and then went on a world tour. If you look closely at your gi, you will probably find a few specks of glitter. He got you too, my friend. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do... I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Roy Dean to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Roy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. I'm excited to to hear from you and learn what you've got going on. Um, Could you just introduce yourself a little bit to the audience if they haven't heard of you yet? Absolutely. Uh... My name is Roy Dean. I'm a third-degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I also have an extensive background in uh, other martial arts and other forms of Jiu-Jitsu, including a third-degree black belt in Seibukan Jiu-Jitsu, or traditional Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I also have a first-degree black belt in Kodokan Judo and a first-degree black belt in Aikikai Aikido. Um, I'm known for having very smooth uh, Jiu-Jitsu uh, on the mat and incorporating some of the Aikido principles and flow into my um, ground game. So I believe I was the first Aikido Yudancha or black belt to receive a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And um, just trying to find those uh, those ties that unify all of these uh, Jiu-Jitsu arts together. Cool. And when did you start uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Hmm. Um, I originally started training in Japan when I was 16 years old. I was doing judo over there. Then I came back to the U.S., got involved in Aikido, and then moved into the dojo of a Japanese jiu-jitsu master. And while I was actually living in the dojo, um, serving as an uchideshi or live-in student, um, I began training in Brazilian jiu-jitsu one time per week with a man named Claudio Franza. Um, I was living in Monterey, California at the time, and his academy was in Santa Cruz. And I would travel up there one time per week, and um, and then the next year I was able to go two times a week. And so 
it, that was in, I think, 1998, I began training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, specifically. been training ever since. And since then, you've moved to the U.S., I'm assuming? How long oh, were you in Japan? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I only spent that one year in okay. Japan. So when I was 17, I came back to the United States. And, um, you know, and I lived in Alaska where I grew up. When I was 21, I moved to California to apprentice under that um, Japanese jiu-jitsu master, uh, Julio Toribio. And I believe I was 24 when I moved down to Southern California uh, to San Diego to attend UC San Diego. And that's when I really started to focus on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I, I could do it, um, but I was limited in the amount of training time I could devote to it uh, when I was living in Monterey. But once I moved down to San Diego, um, I could focus a little bit more on it training under Professor Roy Harris. And who did you eventually get your black belt from? Um, I got my blue belt from Professor Claudio Franca and then my black belt, uh, my purple, brown, and each degree of black from uh, Roy Harris. That's awesome. We we had him on the show uh, a while back, and he was uh, very fun to talk to and very interesting. Uh, the ideas uh, of he's Jesus. a great man. Tons of stories. He's been through it all. He's <clears throat> he's definitely uh, you know he knows a lot, but and he's earned that knowledge. Um, he's had some pretty harrowing experiences and, and definitely paid his dues. Um, so I'm glad you guys had him on. And um, and I, I was pleased to see he just did a, a an interview with Budo Videos. And, cool. Uh, that was also great. If you haven't if you haven't seen that, yeah, yeah I, I'm always uh, keeping up with the Budo Videos. Uh, what they what they're putting out a lot of a lot of fun stuff to watch and, and listen to. Um, what was it like training with with uh, Roy Harris? Well, it was quite different originally. Um, so I came from a traditional martial arts background: judo, um, Japanese jiu-jitsu, aikido. Uh, Roy Harris was the first time I went into a gym, and it was no gi. Like it was really no gi. They hardly they had hardly any gi classes. And part of that was from the fact that he had a little bit of arthritis in his hands and he would put on a gi. I mean, we would do like one or two classes a week, but you know, it's much more, I feel no gi in some ways is very, very pure. It's just like one body versus another body. You know, you're not as reliant on some, some kinds of grips um, that might be gi specific and it also was innovative in that he was highly focused on leg locks. And leg locks in those days were very taboo. Um, but he studied under a Sambo master, Nikolai Baturin. And, you know, he mastered the heel hooks, straight foot lock, toe press, all of these different uh, foot locks. And he taught those to his students. And so we were well-rounded uh, maybe before he was in vogue uh, to do nogi and to do a lot of leg locks. Um, additionally, he's just an incredibly detailed instructor. So I wanted to go from blue belt to purple and brown and black and just, you know, go up the scale, um, complete the entire journey. And he was able to articulate very clearly what I needed for each level. And when I wasn't performing, 
you know, he was able to articulate what I needed to improve on. Uh, and that is, it wasn't just train harder. It was very, very specific. For example, oh, you know, you're not putting your hands in the right place when you're trying to push your opponent off of you. I wasn't going to like the high leverage positions, um, you know, to push on my opponent where I get the most uh, result for the minimum effort. And, you know, for him to even be able to voice that and then give me specific recommendations um, to improve my jiu-jitsu, I mean, that's that's what I like. I'm a very verbal person, and to have a very verbal instructor who can break it down to that level, um, it was definitely the right kind of teacher and learning environment for me. That sounds great. And I think it is also important to have the right teacher and student combination. I mean, he was communicating in a way that you were uh, taking in and, and receiving that feedback in a in a in a good way. Sometimes you give feedback to a student, and they just ten minutes later they they don't even remember what you said. And and so for when when he was talking to you and communicating with you, um, you were you were listening and and trying to make changes in in what you were doing. And, and it sounds like that was probably a, a big part of what uh, helped you develop. Absolutely. I want to get to know you a little bit off the mat. What do you do uh, when you're not on the mat doing jujitsu? Well, I've been doing jujitsu now professionally for I don't know, 10 years. Um, after I graduated from UC San Diego, I was hired by a production company in San Diego. Um, they're very, very successful, and I studied audio engineering. So they hired me right out of school, and I was kind of thrown into a um, – production television environment. They did a lot of high-end corporate work. They also did, you know, these big projects for the government. And um, and then we also had a, a show, DirecTV Sports This Week, that we were responsible for. So I was an audio engineer mixer uh, for them for about four and a half years. And then I just kind of felt like, you know, I'd reached the max. I had learned everything I could learn there. Um, I had kind of maxed out what I could learn in the, you know, on the audio side, in the recording environment. Then I learned video editing, and I had masterful editors around me over at at that company. They were really, really good veterans. Um, So they gave me some tips, and eventually when I got my black belt at 31, I said, that was it. I am going to just do jiu-jitsu. I'm going to create an academy and not work a nine-to-five again. So I quit my job, moved up to Bend, Oregon, and launched um, an academy. And that was uh, that was a dream come true. It was, I put a lot of effort into it, and it was, it was really a fantastic adventure. Um, and then I sold it at the... And of about a year and a half ago, I was at the end of my lease. I sold the academy uh, to one of my students, and then I had just taken the last year off and focused on writing a book, my latest project, which is called Becoming the Black Belt. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Um, yes, Becoming the Black Belt. That is uh, a long-term project I've worked on for, for very heavily over the last year. Um, but I started the project a little bit before that. Um, Becoming the Black Belt details my journey uh, with martial arts. So essentially going from a white belt to 
meeting Claudio Franza, meeting uh, Roy Harris, uh, studying under them, getting those ranks, competing, all the trials and tribulations, the different training methods that you do, all of that. I talk about my competition experiences, and then I got my black belt. So that's the first half of the book. The second half of the book is when my life really started to change, and that is when I launched my own academy. So by launching my own academy, once I received my black belt, I had a vision to do things very, very differently than traditional Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu academies. Number one, I wanted to represent the art very cleanly through these videos, utilizing and leveraging the skills that I had gained um, in San Diego, the audio engineering skills and also the video editing skills. So I started to create a body of work of media um, that... Uh, that essentially captured the process of creating a generation of black belts in my academy. So I share that with an online audience and doing so changed my life dramatically. Um, not only was my academy very successful, but people could participate near and far from around the world. And, <clears throat> excuse me, they start to understand, you know, they start to know the people that were at the academy and they started to watch their progress. So people were actually involved in my academy from everywhere. And that also led to a lot of opportunities to teach seminars, train around the world, instruct around the world and, uh, and make friends around the world. So the, it sounds like the first part of your book will be about uh, your early time in Jiu-Jitsu before your black belt. And the second part of your book will be, uh, after you've received your black belt, could you maybe share with us a story from the first part of the book when you uh, were still a colored belt? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there are several, hopefully these are parables that everyone will be able to relate to, but there, um, the day I received my blue belt, what a glorious day. You know, um, I talk about how Claudio Franza called me into his office and Garth Taylor, his top American student, was right by his side and he said, come on in. And he said, we decided we're going to promote you to Blue Belt. And I just beamed. I was so happy because I really worked hard. I suffered for that belt, you know, and it takes a lot of, you know, having studied other martial arts, you're, you're getting your butt kicked on the mat. And the, the level at that time was not geared toward... Guys were just rough. Guys were rough. Guys that would go straight into MMA now were doing BJJ. Yeah. Because that what was that's what was working. That's what they were seeing. They wanted to learn how to fight, and they were going to make everything a fight, including sometimes when you drilled. You're just trying to drill something. They're actively resisting. I mean, that's what BJJ was like in those early days. So they called me in. They announced that I was going to receive it, and I was just ecstatic. But they didn't present it to me. They said, you know, Keep coming to class. We'll present it to you in class. And I went back and I went back and I went back and they still hadn't awarded it to me. And it was about a month later that they finally called me up to the front of the class and he announced that I was a, a black belt in Japanese jiu-jitsu and now I've become a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And that was a marvelous day. But my own attachment to that belt that he had promised me I mean, it's not like my skill level changed that month in a, much in a month. But it's that promise of promotion that leads to a certain level of attachment, you know, and I was impatient. 
he told me I was, I'd be promoted, but I wanted to strap it on right away. And, you know, you can kind of see that, whether that's a stripe that you put on somebody's brown belt, their third stripe, oh my gosh, black belt's around the corner, their fourth stripe, and maybe the instructor doesn't, doesn't feel that they're ready yet. So that's just one of the reasons why I didn't use stripes in my school. Um, I did at white belt, but then blue belt, purple, and brown, I just, you're that rank. You are what you are. And when you're ready for the next level, um, you know, I'll give it to you. But uh, until then, um, I just wanted to cut down on that coveting of the advancement. And, you know, those are the kinds of stories, in addition to this competition story, there's stories of getting injured, there's stories of, uh, there's stories about heartbreak, there's stories about uh, insurmountable challenges or competing in the world championships. It totally runs the gamut uh, in this book. And um, it depends on where you are. I think black belts will definitely be able to relate to the running your own academy and some of the headaches that come with that and some of the triumphs and successes. There's nothing more rewarding than seeing your students succeed in competition with the knowledge that you have given them. Wow, this, this sounds and amazing. The, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. This, I mean, this sounds amazing that you're, you're able to, to pull such a huge collection of information together and, and, and put it all into a book. I'm trying to think about my, my personal experiences and, and if I were to try to write down all my jujitsu things, and it's like it would take years. Like you, how long you spent quite a while on this book, have didn't you? Oh, I spent a long time, but the last year was was definitely the most intense. Um, where I'd get up in the morning, say, "All right, you got to you got to finish this. You have to finish this." Now, I had actually complete, completed a book before. It's called The Martial Apprentice. Um, I offer it for free on my website, as well as. Um, there's a free version on uh, Amazon for a Kindle edition. So I had done that before, and that's a recollection of my time serving my Japanese jiu-jitsu instructor and apprenticing under him. It's called The Martial Apprentice. So I had already done that, but I wanted this one to be, you know, I wrote that when I was like 23, 24 um, I wanted this to reflect a much more mature perspective, a much more seasoned um, consciousness, uh, having you know gone through all those trials and tribulations. I mean, on the road to black belt, you do everything. You do everything. You power lift. You do CrossFit. You buy certain machines so, you, so specific sports-specific motions will become stronger. You know, you experiment with yoga. You try different all kinds of crazy diets. You get this kind of gear, that kind of gear. You do it all. And I've been there. I've done that. And I wanted to share and hopefully save people a couple steps along the way just from an honest reflection of what my process was. Yeah, I think any anytime you... Um, are going to read someone's story who has experiences like you have, you're going to be able to find relatable things in your own story. And then also you can look at your teammates and say, well, they're probably going through something similar to what he had. Um, you mentioned that early on, jiu-jitsu was very rough and, and just the, the environment, the, the training environments, it was uh, very competitive. People wanted to f- learn how to fight and, and do MMA. And now your style is now a smooth style. You, you do things, you know, very, 
uh, I don't know, smoothly. So um, what was that transition like? When did that happen to you? Well, I think the the kind of smooth and flowing jujitsu style that I have um, comes from a number of things. Uh, one, before I was even allowed to step on the mat in Japan, um, and Dawn Agi put on a uniform, they had me do ukemi. I had to do falling exercises so I could protect myself in judo. I had to do that for six weeks before they let me put on a uniform and even try a throw or attempt a technique. So I was doing falling every day, rolling, falling, high falls, et cetera, et cetera, people throwing you. And I think that was extremely formative because, number one, that allowed me to basically fold and unfold your bones in a manner that you create these strong structures. So you can you know, bring your bones in and curl up and then as you extend in a throw, you want to assemble and unfurl your body at a precise rate so that you strike the ground at the right time where the force is diffused through you. So getting the timing for that, it started in judo, and then it was probably taken to a higher level in Aikido. Um, in Aikido, there's a lot of emphasis on receiving techniques. So I think my ukemi made my movements very, very smooth and connected. Um, and then eventually later it you know, turned into drilling and that. So that, that very smooth quality I have in my grappling, I think it comes from my classical background and a lot of it is due to ukemi. Now, in regards to it being rough in the early days, it was just something that was forming. Um, Claudio, uh, Claudio Franza is a gentleman. He ran a very tight ship over there. It was excellent training. I, I learned a lot. Um, but before Claudio, I mean, I talked to old timers at, uh, Stan Kendrick is, is a guy who I, um, he was always ahead of me, but he was kind of, uh, he was heavily involved, uh, under professor Franza. And he said before Claudio came to the U S they had these Brazilian guys that would come in and teach at another martial arts school and there would be blood on the mats every time. Every time. It was like a fight. Then when Claudio came to the U.S., then it calmed down, but it was still a little rough. And no fault of his own. It's just that these guys didn't really understand where to put the energy. You know, you're basically locked in this battle with somebody else. And for a lot of people, like black belts, you know how to channel your energy. So it goes into one single direction with a guard pass. But, you know, in those days, guys were just strong, athletic. They wanted to dominate. So they're going to do it, not necessarily through technique, but through all means necessary. So they kind of employed more than just a technical focus um, when they were, when they were grappling. And you see that, you see that in, in other forms of martial arts too. Uh, but it's amazing how far um, Claudio has produced so many good people and I look at the the jiu-jitsu scene today, and it's just a different scene. It's a, it's it's evolved several times, and yes, the competition rule set um, makes for some more exotic movement patterns. But there's never been a better time to study jiu-jitsu than now. And why is that? Oh, access to information number one. 
I talk about this in the book quite a bit. Back in my day, I would, oh my gosh, there were a few VHS sets available, but they were very expensive, very expensive, and I couldn't afford them. I did save up money to, to buy Claudio France's uh, VHS uh, instructional set, and that helped considerably. But, you know, there were no live streams. There were no, there wasn't even really that much competition footage. So what I ended up doing was going to events, competitions, recording the matches of the good fighters, going back home, taking two VCRs, and splicing it together into my <laughs> own highlight reel so that I could study what was working. I mean, that's how hungry I was. And if you contrast that with the ocean of content that's available today, it's, it's fantastic that people have that kind of um, those resources at their fingertips for free so that people can get literate in this language. It's just a physical language. The more people that are literate in it, the better. And uh, I think it makes for a better society. So I don't begrudge it at all. Um, I think there's never been a better time to learn jujitsu because you have access to incredible information on world-class instruction. Training environments are much less like the mafia and much more open to cross-training with other clubs, train with everybody, to quote Dave Camarillo. Um, and finally, it's just more, it seems that it's diverged enough and evolved enough so that you can select your particular branch. If you want to do more self-defense, you know, more Gracie Torrance style, if you want to do more sport oriented competition, BJJ, if you don't really care about the competition scene, but you want to adopt your BJJ for MMA, then that's available too. The style that I taught was much more middle path. So you could go in any of those directions. You could apply it toward Ballet Tudo or, or MMA. You could apply it for competition jiu-jitsu, and it also had some, some self-defense orientation as well. So I think whatever flavor you want to specialize in or you want to indulge in a little bit more, uh, you can do that and you can be happy. And if you're not happy doing one particular flavor, you can find a school where your emphasis, your preferred emphasis is there all the time. So there's so many reasons, but I think those are a few. Yeah. The, hit on some very good points. Uh, your first one there, access to information that has clearly changed. You've been doing just who, uh, quite a bit longer than I have, but I remember the time when it was hard to find, uh, comp- you know, competition videos and to, to, to go online and to, to download a video it took forever, you know, it was just crazy. And, and you're splitting VHS tapes and hooking them up together. I, I mean, there's members of the audience that don't even know what that means. Like they, uh, you know, you could, if you're in high school now, you don't know what a VHS tape and why you put two of them together. Like that doesn't make sense to them. So, I mean, like big changes, you know, I could, I can get caught in this mission and go look it up. Um, on, well, I'm still at the gym on my phone and I have it right there, but there's a big difference between information and knowledge. You know, understanding something and having somebody actually explain it to you and, and, and you feeling move versus just seeing it sometimes. Do you think there's, there are some students that that get too um, involved in just getting more and more information and don't actually have a deeper understanding of jiu-jitsu in this modern day that we have? Yeah, and I think, yes, I do. I also feel that because you can 
Well, for example, when I wanted to train in Aikido, I'm going to use a completely different martial art. When I wanted to train in Aikido, I didn't have an instructor that was available in the area. I was living in Canada. Actually, I was completing, like, I was doing grade 13 classes. I finished my last year of high school in Canada because I didn't get academic credit for the year I spent in Japan. So I end up over there. I want to study Aikido. Wasn't able to. So what do I do? I read every book on the subject, everything I could read about. I, I memorized the biography of Morihei Ueshiba, the founder of Aikido. I knew about the techniques. I bought like Aikido and di- the dynamic sphere. Um, so I like they had illustrations of the techniques. I learned everything I could, but that is still not. That is one that is not really Aikido. I have a kind of a surface understanding of it and an understanding of history. And number two, that is so far from skill. That is not, that is not it at all. So I think that people confuse knowledge and skill too easily these days. They look up a bunch of techniques or they see things online and they get the shape of it, but they don't get the feeling of it. You know, you can't read pressure online. You can see somebody squirming but you don't know what that really feels like. So in jiu-jitsu, you know, people talk about invisible jiu-jitsu. There is that element of that tactile reality of like, well, what, doesn't he just escape? Well, yeah, that's because he's pinned with tons of pressure that you really can't even imagine a person of that size generating. So when it comes to people being YouTube scholars and you know, coming into class and, oh, here's a counter of this. I, I think it's good to know, to have a big vocabulary. Yeah. But being able to, you know, actually use the words uh, that are most convenient for you, um, I think that's more important. If you have an exotic vocabulary word, but you never use it, but you want to keep it in your pocket because it could be used someday, or it's like verbal vanity, you want to show people that you know this word. Because it's a more complex word. Like, there's a little bit of that going on, too. You know? So I think that basically understand, being able to communicate, uh, people go more for the flashy vocab than the actual meat and potatoes communication style that you should master. And, and finally, knowledge does not equal skill. Uh, skill requires knowledge to know the proper path and trajectory that you should put your efforts into. But, you know, it takes a long time and it takes, it takes a lot of dedication. A lot of that dedication requires boring repetition in order to get things really smooth and automatic. You use your conscious mind to program your subconscious mind and get these techniques in there. And the people that are aware of what they need to do but aren't willing to bridge that gap through kind of the boring repetitions and the work of it. Um, that's a little bit dangerous too. You mentioned that in your class, you would like to teach um, self-defense and sport jujitsu and, and uh, mm, I, I wouldn't say I would label it like that. Um, I might say, Oh, here's a, you know, very sporty technique. You okay. Know, this isn't good for MMA or yeah, something like that. It's something you, like that. But I basically just taught jujitsu. Okay. And but you felt that your students feel, could do. You, you felt that your students could do any any of the variety of 
of things branching off of what you were teaching them? I, I, I feel they could. You know, I think if you give people a, a nice base to work off of, okay. that um, they could segue into different environments because ultimately it's about intuitive body movement, intuitive leveraged body movement. So he's like, well, what if somebody attacked you like this? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to react. I, I really, I have absolutely no idea. I had a friend who was doing Sistema, and he was like, well, what would you do if I did this? And I was like, I have no idea. I did something. He's like, well, that seemed pretty legit. And basically, that's it. You know, what Mr. Harris talks about scenario-based training. And unless you do scenario-based training where you recognize the specific threat what the order of importance is for neutralizing various aspects of that threat, you know, in a multiple attacker scenario, you know, which guy should you use first? Which guy, how do you control him so that you can shield yourself from the other people? Unless you do stuff like that, um, you know, and you're really a self-defense expert, I sometimes think it's better just teach intuitive body movement so that people will just have an understanding of, you know, what to do, how to move, how to escape, how the joints bend, how they do not bend. Um, I think I think that is is more important, and ultimately that serves you better than going very very specific with um, specific self defense scenarios. Yeah, that's very interesting to think of it that way. And intuitive body movement. Um, I want to catch up with you. We talked quite a bit about your past and stuff. Um, so what are you doing now? Well, I'm in a fortunate position that while I was running the academy, I used it like a film studio. So I generated a lot of media, um, a lot of media that I put on YouTube, but then I also developed what I call the collection. And that is um, all of my long-term media projects, more long-form media projects. For example, um, blue belt requirements through black belt requirements, the white belt Bible, uh, year one seminars, Nogi essentials, that whole body of work, um, is available as, you know, in various forms in the digital sphere. So I have them available for, you know, on iTunes and direct downloads and Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so now I just, do seminars. I did a, a seminar in Los Angeles um, last weekend, and uh, I'm going to Norway uh, in early March. And yeah, I just uh, teach jujitsu. Sounds nice. <laughs> You've definitely uh, earned yes. the spot to be in that position. Uh, I've I definitely put in a lot of work. Let's let's be clear. I've definitely put in a lot of work, and I am in a very privileged position. So. My goal now is to, all right, well, you got to justify this. You know, I have a really nice situation, but what is the next thing? You know, when I was running the academy and I had all these belt demonstrations, I was producing all this media, white to black. It was great, and I was very, very inspired because I felt like I was moving not only the art forward, but I was moving the medium forward, you know, the martial arts instructional medium forward in the way that I presented the information in the level of professionalism that, um, that I brought to the, you know, whatever production I happen to be working on. Um, and now it's changed. The, the steam ran out with that a little bit. It's like, well, how many more 
jujitsu things can I do? So, and you know, you keep pressing on, you keep pressing on. Then I was like, well, I haven't done any GoPro jujitsu videos. And now let's do like some really slow motion stuff and let's do, and then you kind of exhaust all that. So now I'm on a very new adventure. I moved down to Palm Springs, California. Um, I have some friends that run uh, a great judo and jiu-jitsu club here, Coachella Valley, um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Judo. I came up with those guys. Um, I'm helping out over there, um, training, improving my wrestling. And this next year is dedicated toward media generation, but something very different than what I've done in the past. It's me being a student again. So it's about traveling around. It's about meeting people that inspire me. You know, what gets me juiced? Finding a meditation teacher, you know, finding a really good Ashtanga teacher. I'm, I'm a big advocate of Ashtanga yoga, particularly for people that are serious about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You need that kind of counterbalance um, in the body work that you do to keep you conditioned, flexible, and even. Um, you know, um, going around to whether it's they're successful business owners or successful authors or whatever it is that I'm, that I happen to be interested in that I want to learn about. That's what I want to capture. So it'll be more Anthony Bourdain style travelogue in addition to, you know, me teaching in various environments. So essentially a virtual dojo, I had the brick and mortar dojo. It was great. It was beautiful. Um, the day-to-day of actually running a martial arts academy, that can wear on you. A lot of people think, like, oh, that's the dream. Well, I have the dream, and it's amazing, but there are also some, like, you got to pay the price when it comes to that, too. There's, there are definitely drawbacks to running a brick-and-mortar academy. Um, and being, you know, I was in a, a relatively small town of Bend, Oregon, for eight years, and now it's time to fill the cup back up, you know, go out there, be inspired, do work, improve my wrestling, train Sistema, train Aikido, train whatever I want to do. It doesn't have to be BJJ. And all of that will inform my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And all of that will inform my affiliates and the students that are under me. So I think I'm in a rare position and I want to really maximize it. Um, and I'm excited. I'm actually going up to a place called Esalen, which is on the coast of uh, Big Sur. It's a retreat center I've always wanted to go to. And um, that's going to be my first big adventure. I'm going to do a travelogue uh, as I head up there. And while I'm up there, I'm going to be filming um, a new instructional course, um, How to Be a BJJ Professional is the working title for it. And in that, I want to share all of my very, very hard-earned experiences. I mean, what's it, how do you do that? How do you quit your nine-to-five job that, you, that seemed like professional suicide at the time? So you're going to quit your job and teach people martial arts, really? That's exactly what I did. And then I segued from that into just a totally new dimension of freedom. So part of it is how to teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in a way that's fun, accessible, and sustainable. If people look at what I did with my academy and they want to replicate my success, this will be the closest thing to it. But then also, 
um, there's an element of entrepreneurialism in it. Like, you can do that. The tools we have today are better than ever. And the internet has democratized success and pathways and channels to people that can assist you with your goals. You know, you can't do everything yourself, but utilizing the power of the internet, you could be an entrepreneur. You can do what I did. You can quit your nine to five. You can teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And then when you get tired of that, maybe you have another, you develop an exit plan so you can move and smoothly step into that next place in your life. So I'm, I'm very excited about, you know, having this honest conversation with the camera so that I can share all of those experiences that I learned. And believe me, it's like, it is like fight experience. You know, running an academy is not that much different than going into competition. You, it's, you have to show up all the time. If you stop showing up, your performance in your academy goes down. You know, and there's, you need to be completely dedicated to it. And only after you've been competing for a while do you really understand what it takes and the amount of energy you should put into each segment of your training to be able to maximize the return on investment. So this is something that I feel that people need because as more people, originally when I got my black belt, it was like, let's get more people involved in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I do like blue belt requirements and everyone wants to get their blue belt, right? Now people want to get their black belt. There's so many more black belts. Black belt is like the new purple belt. And you want to share this incredible art that has probably changed your life in a significant way. How do you do that? And that is the aim. I want to show you how I did it. I don't want you to replicate my success um, and my formula to a T because you're going to have your own slant. You're going to have your own take on the art. You're going to have your own emphasis that you want to put forth, your own rhythm uh, that you want to impart to your students. But it's going to be basically blue belt requirements for instructors. And I think... I'm, I'm really excited about bringing it to the public. This is cool. I'm excited to, to see you as you uh, travel around and, and train and do different things and, and experience things. You're going to be sharing that with us uh, online, and and it's going to be uh, uh, very fun for anybody who's following with you. And and uh, the the book is going to take us right up to that point, it sounds like. So um, the second half exactly. of the book is, is the, the black belt. So... Um, it sounds like you spend a lot of time yeah. and a lot of energy running your school. Is, is it a lot about that? Oh, my gosh. There's so much energy that goes into running a school. Uh, and there are so many elements, not just showing up. It's not just showing up and, all right, guys, here, here's an armbar. You know, it's about branding. It's about carefully selecting the color palette that you have in your school because your color palette will choose your clientele. And the cleanliness that you keep your school at says everything about your professionalism without you having to say a word. Uh, there's, there's so much that goes into it, whether it's branding, whether it's advertising, whether it's marketing, whether it's you know, how you present information. Do you, do you have a curriculum? Do you have a baseline? Do you have a framework that people can operate in? 
or is it just random nebulous techniques whenever you, whatever you decide to show that day? There's a lot that goes into it. And if you have a really smoothly running successful academy, there's an enormous amount of work that goes on behind the scenes that people aren't aware. You know, it's, it takes a lot of energy to keep that machine moving and going. And, um, but if you're passionate about the art, if that seems like a dream scenario to you to run your own academy, to share something that has significantly um, influenced you, and to be perfectly honest, a lot of people that get into jujitsu are high achievers, and things bore them easily. But jujitsu is endlessly interesting. And so for a lot of people, it's almost a salvation. Here's something that I haven't gotten bored of that continues to challenge me. And this is something I can share with others. And if you fit that, then that's, this course is going to be for you. Um, I did that. Uh, I'm in a different, I'm in a different stage in my life, but, um, to be able to do that, uh, whether you're just sharing it in your garage with your family or you actually have aspirations to run a successful uh, large-scale um, academy in a metropolitan area, um, you can choose your own adventure and scale it to whatever you like. But the most important thing is that we continue to share and pass on the art in the right way. Yeah, this is this is great information. And I'm just I'm thinking back for when I started and when you started um, – when I started, the mats were like Rugburn City. It was they were like old gymnastic gymnastics mats, and it was it was a rough thing. And and now you go to a school, and you you wouldn't see that. You know, like you said, you the way you present and brand your uh, your, your name and your academy is very important. So I think um, just by doing a good job of that, you, you get ten people in the door. Maybe maybe eight of them stay. Where before, is ten would come in and and two would stick around, you know, and, and you were definitely one of the ones who was willing to go through anything. You know, if you're, if you're reading Aikido books just to try to get some information out, you were really interested in it. There was no, like, a borderline. Yeah, you were really hungry. That's a good way to say that. But uh, a lot of times you could take a person who's interested, and then over the course of a few months or a year, they become really hungry, and it becomes a part of their life. And I think we're going to get that more and more as time goes on, as as the quality goes up is as uh, you've kind of alluded to? You know, it's it's a new era, and I think that we need to, you know, what worked in the past will continue to work, but sometimes, you know, these are technologies. I think of jiu-jitsu as a human technology, and sometimes updates are needed, sometimes you need to whatever. Sometimes it's a 1.0 to 2.0, and sometimes it's a, you know, it's just like a small incremental update, but we need to just jujitsu has gotten better and better. Uh, I think it's become more accessible. It's much more female friendly. It's much more family oriented and, and it's much more socially acceptable in that you could be a submission fighter now. And it's really not that much different than, I mean, we still have ways to go, but than doing football or basketball or, lacrosse or whatever, whatever those kind of all American sports are, you know, jujitsu should be in that category as an acceptable after school athletic activity. Yeah. I love that. And, and, uh, I think we'll see the day, um, hopefully sooner than, 
than I'm able to imagine, but uh, that that's going to be great. Um, definitely, definitely. So you, you'll talk in this book about um, tournaments that you've been to and, and learned from and, and experiences. Can you maybe uh, give some advice for somebody who's going to do their first tournament? Okay. First tournament, I would suggest, well, number one, I didn't let my students compete until they were blue belts. I didn't, I really felt, especially in the early days, that white belt divisions were uneven. You have people that clearly should be blue belts in there. You have national wrestling champions that go into white belt divisions. You have, um, I mean, yeah, there are, there are people, even MMA fighters, professional MMA fighters will enter a white belt division. So I just wanted to avoid all of that. So I didn't let my students compete in white belt. I figured by the time you get your blue belt, you have enough skills to be able to go into a match, um, win or lose, acquit yourself well, and walk away from the experience having gained something, not getting completely trounced and run over based on, you know, you drawing like the junior national judo champion of Russia in the, uh, in the first round <laughs> as a white belt. So <clears throat> when, it, when it comes to competing, I, I, you know, people have different schools of thought. Like you go in there, you do what you can, and then you just learn. You don't take it very seriously. I waited. I think you should, you have a better experience if you wait till blue belt. Okay. Now that said, at blue belt, Blue is a very thick belt, and you have guys on the cusp of purple that are really, really, you know, amazing and be able to put things together. So, number one, I would say don't take it that seriously in terms of if you win or lose. Just think about your performance. Are you going to go out there and be able to perform in the way that you imagine yourself doing and that your coach wants you to do? You know, are you going to be able to at least be able to get to the positions where you can start to work your game plan? I think, I think that's important. Evaluating yourself on your performance, not whether you win or lose. I think that's a good way to kind of frame this experience that you're going into. Number two, um, select the right tournament. It's much better if you can scout the tournament that you're going to be doing, um, or a, a similar kind of, you know, an IBJJF tournament or a sub-league tournament or whatever the, the organization happens to be, it's nice if you can get a feel for it before so you know what that's going to be like and you kind of mentally imagine yourself going through that process as that person you're watching, you know, shake the referee's hand and then begin the match. Number three, I think conditioning is important. I think the most bang for your buck that you can get is doing wind sprints. You need to be able to, to do wind sprints and then have your heart rate come down and then be able to, to go back and, um, and have those bursts because jiu-jitsu is much more anaerobic than aerobic. You explode and then you rest. You explode, then you rest. And then finally, don't go alone. I have been an army of one many times when I was competing. And just to have one friend there or your coach there or, you know, your several teammates there. It really does help. It helps if you win. It helps if you lose. There's nothing like the camaraderie and solidarity of your team. So 
those three things, those four things, you know, conditioning is important, uh, framing it based on performance rather than a win or loss. Um, you know, going with people if at all possible, and then try to get a preview, scout it out beforehand. And I think whatever your experience is, I think it'll be much better off when it's informed and you do a little bit of homework before. Well, this is great information. Uh, I never really thought about the white belt um, going in there. You, you get a guy who or a gal who's super motivated. They've got four mats, four months on the mat, and they they, they go compete. And they get that crazy competitor who's should be a blue belt. You know, it's definitely questionable, and and uh, and they just get smoked. And then they they run the risk of not coming back to class because they had such a terrible totally jujitsu experience. And that's terrible experience. That's terrible. terrible experience. And not everybody needs to compete. <clears throat> yeah, it's an amazing it's an amazing experience. Uh, but and the highs that you get from winning a match, you know by submitting somebody who was maybe even beating you before, but you come from behind, you tap them out, the crowd goes wild, the room goes wild. I mean, that's a lot of endorphins, a lot of good brain chemicals going on when you do that. It's very primal. Uh, And everybody imagines that's what's going to happen. But the reality is, you know, it doesn't go down like that all the time. (laughs) There are those moments but it doesn't go down like that all the time. Yeah. So not everyone's meant to compete, but it's good to have that option because that's what keeps the teeth in the art. Um, you know, Aikido is a good example. I have a lot of respect for Aikido. It significantly influenced me. Um, it was the BJJ of its day, like, you know, late 70s, 80s, early 80s, you know, when Steven Seagal came on the scene later, but it was, you know, people were training in it before, um, during, during that time frame, late seventies, early eighties. I mean, that what Aikido is jujitsu. It's just a different flavor. It's a different range and it doesn't have competition. And I think because it doesn't have competition, some things go unchecked, you know, and competition grounds you. It grounds you to what you're capable of, you know, where you really are in the pecking order. And I think it, it just is that little bit of reality check that, um, keeps people honest and humble. I think it's a good thing. That's an interesting point about the lack of competition. And if, if you don't have that competitive drive in your heart, you know, it's the conditioning is not going to be any fun and it's, it's a lot of work it's okay to not compete, but just the fact that we that people compete in jujitsu is driving the art. And if you have somebody in your class or your school that goes and competes, that they come back and you get the feedback from them, and and and, and you get to kind of, um, you know, kind of compare how how they with their experience to what you're experiencing with them. It's a little tiny bit of a bridge. I mean, compared to not competing at all. Um, oh, that's absolutely, absolutely. And in, in fact, you participate in their victory, and by, you know, being a great training partner for him. Yeah. And, you know, and so in in a way, you are getting a little taste of that. You're getting a little reflective glory or just, you know, re- the reflective glory of being a good partner and and assisting them in their development. And then the lessons they learned on a mat, they bring back to you. So you might be one step removed, but you're still benefiting from competition. 
Very nicely said. And uh, you know the the trying to prevent white belts from from maybe competing or, or thinking about waiting it could be a tough thing. And if maybe you're in that spot, maybe I should wait, maybe I shouldn't. Well, this is a great opportunity for you to go and what you said is scout the tournaments. You know, like if you have a teammate that's going, go along and watch and and, and, and cheer for yeah. them and, and be there as part of a team. But you get to watch the tournament and just kind of take it all in uh, as a white belt. And then when you do go back and you want to compete, you've been there once before. You've experienced, you know what it's going to be like. And you know um, a little bit more what to expect. You'll probably be a little less nervous. Absolutely. Absolutely. It won't be so overwhelming. You'll be oriented, uh, you know, oriented to what the situation is and the timing of it. Yeah. I think, I think it's, I think it's a good, good way to go. Yeah. And in uh, your advice, I mean, the, the scouting out, the, the waiting, you know, till blue and then the not going alone, those all go well together. You're like not going alone. Well, if you go scout one, your teammate's not going to go alone. And that's an important thing. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I've done that before too. I've been to a tournament by myself and it's it's a lot different of experience than uh, having one person with you that's a lot a lot better <laughs> let alone a whole well team. said yeah even just one even just one yeah a lot of times i'll ask uh what advice do you have for a new student as far as a goal setting thing um but i, I want to change up a little bit here um what advice would you have for a new black belt in jiu-jitsu um, kind of goals to to try to reach for or um, things to consider? When you get your black belt, uh, there can be a little bit of, man, do I really deserve this? You know, and there can be a sort of, yes, I'm a black belt, but there's like a confidence and a secret inadequacy that you have, like, do I really deserve this? You know, how do I stack up against the other black belts? Because you just stepped off into the big leagues. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, it's it, there are guys that have been working their games for so long, and the confidence when they reach those positions uh, that they favor, you know, you feel that. You feel that. I just rolled with a fresh... There were several new black belt promotions at this, at this um, club that I'm I'm training at and I rolled with one of the new black belts and you know, he, uh, I happened to catch him in the knee bar. He was not expecting it. He wasn't expecting it from that angle. He wasn't expecting it at all. And he, he said, well, I guess there are black belts and there are black belts. And, and it's all about like recognizing that you are in a new venture here. You're a white belt amongst black belts. And, dude, you have formidable, sharp skills. You have a skill set that is lethal. And you have worked very, very hard for. But don't have a chip on your shoulder like you can't lose. You, you will still pay your dues. You will still pay your dues, even at Black Belt. I did, you know. And it took about four years for me to be like, oh, I have to kick everyone's everyone's butt that comes in the school. Like, I got to smash everybody. I got to show them. You go through that phase where you have to defend. You got to defend the belt. got to defend the crown. And then after like four years, I thought, man, if somebody catches me, they got to be really good. And you just let it go. And you do get caught sometimes. Sometimes you let people in the game and sometimes you don't let people in the game and you still get caught. So I would say to a new black belt, 
you should celebrate every time you tap. Every time. Like, you you know, lose your ego at the door. Yeah, you do it. You have to do that to go from white belt to blue belt. But you have to do it at every belt rank along the way, including black belt. And if you really want a lifetime in the art, especially black belt. Well, and you say celebrate, not just not get upset with, but look at it and say, you know, I am fortunate that I'm training with people who are tapping me. Dude, absolutely, absolutely. And you know what? If they caught you, it's it's probably pretty good. I remember <laughs> there was a I was there was a visiting purple belt who came in, and he was really good. I knew he was good, and we rolled, and he caught me in something off a transition. Like I shucked him off my back, and he fell right into like a, a choke or an arm lock, one of the two. And it was dope. I was like, oh my, that was good. He was like, oh, thanks. You know, that's precisely the moment when you should get excited. Like, ooh, he's got something good. And you should basically steal that. You should take that, even if it's from uh, a lower-ranked individual. Because, and to be perfectly honest... You know, whenever I travel around or do seminars, whatever, people show me things. And the stuff they show you is not their worst stuff. It's their best. It is their best stuff. And what do you think of this? Hey, you know, I made this move up. And that kind of like open-minded curiosity, I'll tell you the wrong way to approach that. It's like, what, you don't think I've seen that before? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And And it should be, these people are giving you their best stuff whether they're using it on you or they're just showing it to you and they're busting out their A games, they want to feel what your, your game is like as a black belt, man, you, you got you to just like let that ego go. And it's very difficult as a fresh black belt to not want to, you can't ever tap, right? But th- that's exactly the wrong thing because once you hit my age, like I, I turned 41, once you hit my age, it is, it's much more difficult to compete with guys in their early 20s that are black belts. I have like 20 years, 15 to 20 years. And yeah, I know I have tricks and I have, you know, I'm good. But just in terms of overall, all factors in, athleticism included, you know, it's way harder. It's way harder. And you need to, it's about letting people go as an instructor and it's about being okay with just tapping and letting go. You don't have to dominate all the time. And as you get older, that's going to be forced on you. So you might as well get used to it now. Well, that, that's great advice. And, and uh, you, you mentioned that it was tough the first four or so years to, to realize that you didn't need to tap everybody out all the time. But um, after a while you realize that it's, you know, if they're if they're catching me, they're good, and and they they catch people all the time. Totally. It's not a big deal to them, you know. So that absolutely, absolutely, and yeah. So a, a lot of very seasoned people have given this advice before, uh, but you know, as I go through the process, you know, I was I, I competed in my twenties. I taught it all. The, I had my own academy in my thirties, and now entering my forties. Um, it's, you, you, you 
done all those, like the highly athletic phase, the more didactic uh, phase where you're, where you're sharing everything. And look, now it's more about fun. And the more you can just keep it fun, enjoyable, keep your ego in check. Um, I think, I think that is where it's at as in a, a more evolved jiu-jitsu practitioner because as you go through this you evolve from white belt to black belt but then there are all these other factors that go into your game and how you feel about your game a lot of white belts feel like man i would be competing all the time if i had his skill level i'd be going out there and you know what maybe not but maybe by the time you've paid the price to reach his skill level you don't know what his body feels like you have absolutely no idea what his body feels like when he gets up in the morning you know, so you might think that it will be a certain way when you reach that place, but no, it will probably not be like that. You know, you will always have deficiencies in your game that you want to improve. And you will always, you will always be a little dissatisfied with your game. And it's just the way it is, you know? I, I like, I, I could maybe describe your, um, you mentioned a little bit ago about when somebody shows you a move, they're showing you their best thing. You know, like when you go travel and you see it, you have like like a blue belt curiosity. Like as a white belt, sometimes someone can show you something and it could be total garbage and you don't can't quite get it down. But blue belts, you show some garbage to blue belt diggers, oh, that's not going to work. But but they're curious about everything that they're, that you're showing them and they really want to take it in and, and learn things. And that's a that's a thing that um, somebody with your experience a lot of times is is gone. Like they, you do know tons about it. And I'm going to show you my, my favorite thing. And, and even if you've seen it before, you're, I bet you're still looking at like maybe some details that, that I might be doing, um, or, or, or not, or showing you that, uh, would, would clue into your game. And, and just that keeping that curiosity that you're forever going to be a student and you're always going to be learning things is, um, is huge to your own growth long-term in jiu-jitsu. Well said, well said, brother. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, where could somebody get this book, and 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 uh, what could they expect once they get it? Well, um, by the time this is broadcast, it should be available on Amazon. Um, check in the Kindle section for becoming the black belt. And um, the Nick Gregoriadis, my friend Nick Gregoriadis, also wrote a foreword for it, and it was really. It's a beautiful forward. I'm very, very pleased with it. I can't wait for people to read this. Um, I get real in the book. You know, I, I share a lot of personal uh, details, and it's that vulnerability that you need in jiu-jitsu that I want to also extend into the book. It's not about just creating an image or protecting an image or an avatar. It's about, it's about being real. It's about sharing the real dirt. And what you actually go through, the price you pay in becoming a black belt, the price you pay in sharing the art. Um, so I'm excited about people um, taking a look at it. Um, in time, there will be an audio book as well. But uh, for right now, just go to Amazon, search for Becoming the Black Belt, download, and I hope you enjoy it. Cool. This is uh, exciting. And, and like you you mentioned before, don't copy exactly what you did, but but by reading your experience and stories, you'll be able to relate to that and you'll be able to see patterns. I think it's similar, like you know, everybody goes through grade school and, and I could talk to you about things I did in grade school and, 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 and we could share similar experiences 
and uh, and reflect on that. And it's it's probably similar in jiu-jitsu. Like I don't have the same stories you do, but I have similar things that that are I can relate to you with. And and then if once the book passes where I'm at as far as my level of jiu-jitsu, I could learn look at that and try to gain wisdom from from your experiences. So it helps me uh, get further along in my development. Perfectly said, and I hope that it'll be able to help people whether they're a white belt just starting out on the path, or they're in the you know kind of in the blue belt plateau, or they're you know a brown belt, uh, wherever, or maybe they're a seasoned instructor, and they're going through some of the things that I talk about in the book, some of the some of the ups and downs of actually running a school. Um, you know, I think there's something for everyone that's um, engaged in this path. And um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, it was a long, it was a long project, but I think it came out very well and um, hopefully inspires a few people. That's always been my modus operandi to inspire people through my media, whether those are cool, artsy YouTube videos, whether those are clear cut uh, and precise instructionals, or whether it's a writing project like this, I want to inspire people to explore the art, to go further in it, and use it as a vehicle for self-inquiry and self-development. Well, this is great. You mentioned it for everyone, all levels. And it, it, it seems like to me, after about a year of training, you, people get the idea, wouldn't it be great to be to have my own school? Like Just that little, it, most people don't act on it, but the feeling like how great it would be. And then this will take you through that process and hit you with some, sounds like it's going to hit you with some realities about what it's like to actually own a school and some good and some, some tough. And, and that, that'll be an interesting thing to experience um, through you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it's all about sharing. It's all about sharing your experiences and being, and being honest about it. Um, so hopefully people will benefit from that project and uh, I'm excited about the future. Um, I have some really cool trips coming up, some seminars, and making new friends along the way. And hopefully, um, I'll be be able to create new friends uh, every time I get on the mat and um, and share my skills. Well, I, I'm sure you will be. I mean, you've you mentioned already that that one of your priorities is keeping it fun and having a good time. And, and if you're having fun, the people you're training with will be having fun. And that's uh, the, one of the best ways to make friends on the mat is just to have fun with people. So recommend go check out the book and, and read it. And then the best thing you could do, um, tell your training partners about the book. You know, recommend it to people face to face. You know, this is a very powerful tool to get things uh, spread. If you think your instructor would benefit from from reading it, recommend it to them. If you think your your you know your fellow blue belt would would gain from it, tell them about it. And of course, writing reviews online is great too, and and helping to get the word out in social media and everything like that. But just just tell people about uh, what you thought of the book and and recommend it where you think it's appropriate. That's I, I think that's a it's a great thing to do. I appreciate that. You know, discussion about it and about the art uh, is always beneficial. And um, yeah, I, I think that this is something that you know there there have been a lot of really cool jujitsu books um, put out there uh, and. I think this kind of uh, narrative memoir style will just hit people on a a very personal level. And it's a very personal art. Uh, You you can't, you can't get much more personal in in terms of, you know, 
space relationship with your partner and the finality of submissions. This is a very personal journey. And I think that that level of intimacy that you have both with yourself uh, in evaluating your performances and with your training partners, uh, hopefully that's reflected in the book. And, um, and that's where the really powerful transformations come from, from inside. Uh, sometimes triggered externally, but it's, it's all about um, how you evolve in, internally. And, and hopefully this will give you some food for thought. Well, this is great, and I'm excited for your um, you know, beyond the book. You know, we we got to keep up with you. What would be a good way to do that? I mean, as you travel and, and and make more videos and stuff, how could I make sure I don't miss anything? Absolutely. Well, you can go to RoyDean.tv. I just launched this new website um, that has everything you need to know right there. Uh, additionally, you can subscribe to me on YouTube. I have a really great library of instructionals, uh, belt demonstrations, uh, artistic jujitsu videos, and and there's going to be new things on there as well. So YouTube, just search for Roy Dean, and um, go to RoyDean.tv, and you'll be able to keep up with the latest explorations and adventures. Cool, and I'll put links to those and, and your book and everything else on the show notes to make it easy for everybody to find you. Do you have any sponsors you want to mention? Yes, uh, my gi sponsor, Origin. Origin uh, approached me a few years ago, and I went to their uh, BJJ immersion camp, um, and I was really impressed. I was really impressed with Pete Roberts. Uh, he is definitely visionary in terms of the BJJ scene and what he's doing to create American gis, um, actually weaving the fabric here in the USA. He, very technical about it. And it's not just another gi. It's more of um, a movement, a movement to keep things uh, here in the U.S., keep these technological innovations, and keep evolving um, the most important piece of performance where you have in jiu-jitsu, which is your gi. Additionally, they have a really great lineage. Um, if you haven't been to the uh, Origin BJJ camp, um, it's highly recommended um, they come from the Delahiva lineage. I'm very impressed with it. Cool to enter into that, be a guest and enter into that lineage and see the angles that they work, um, their particular strengths, uh, with obviously Delahiva guard and grip breaking. And it's just, it just shows me, even though they are a different strain of, uh, the BJJ scene, um, there are strong technical lineages everywhere. And that's part of the beauty of this art is exploring and discovering um, great jiu-jitsu everywhere you go. Cool. And I'll put uh, links to, to that as well in the show notes. Any final words you want to say to the audience? Just want to say uh, thanks to everyone that's listening and um, anyone who's supported me over the years, whether that's through a DVD, a digital download, uh, or just a very kind email. Um, I jujitsu has been very kind to me and I feel very fortunate and I want to give back and continue to inspire people in my own unique way and um, hopefully be able to save people a couple steps in the process. It's a beautiful art. I think physical literacy is achievable for everybody and jujitsu is the way to achieve that. Awesome. Well, thank you. 
Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, and um, I hope your listeners enjoyed it. Well, I'd like to thank Roy Dean for coming on the show and uh, dropping knowledge to us all. Uh, I know I learned a lot from it, uh, as well as Byron. Um, but one thing I, I, I kind of hit home for me is I've been training a long time. I know Byron has also. But when we first started, there was really not much online to learn from. Uh, we had to learn, you know, totally on the mat. And I think that was good um, in some avenues, and especially since I was new. I think sometimes now a lot of new people, you know, start checking out advanced techniques and get so far ahead they, they can't really conceptualize and put everything together. But um, the, the one nice thing I, I would have liked to have access to a little bit more, I would have been able to, because we only had class twice a week, and I would have been able to maybe look something up if I had a question instead of waiting, you know, till the next class period, I, I could look something. But uh, so it, I, I just, I totally forget about that sometimes about how, how different it was training back then. We didn't have these, you know, where you could buy a MG in action, Marcelo Garcia's, uh, you know, or, or other, other martial artists have that where you, you just get access to just tons and tons of material. And even without, having a subscription for somewhere you can still find tons and tons of very good material online so uh, uh i just thought that was really neat just talking about that yeah that, that you're right gary and it's it's been a big change and thanks to roy there's a lot of quality uh, video out there and thanks to many other people as well but uh i'm just thinking about you know if you're considering getting the book it's nine ninety nine on amazon um you could download it your kindle within seconds of listening to us right now Everybody has their own journey in, in martial arts or in life, and I think it's a, a nice way to learn about somebody else's journey, just to um, just out of just curiosity. And it also, I, I can promise you that you'll find some parallels in your life and and some training experiences that were the same. And learning how he dealt with them, um, and learning how you dealt with them, and maybe you know uh, learn from that. You know, you, it's it's so rare to get such a detailed um, story of somebody's. Uh, martial art history that this this should if you buy this book and and you don't think anything from it send me an email and yell at me because uh, i really think that uh, this will be uh worth your time and, and, a, and a good read and and should uh should benefit you uh, you know on and off the mat so uh, yeah, highly recommended for me and i did write a review you could go to amazon uh, so do this just go to amazon and read my review that i wrote about his book and get, that'll get you there and, and get you reading other reviews and maybe it's right for you yeah, and you know Roy's definitely a pioneer in the sport. He's been around. He he knows so much. So uh, what a what a better guy to uh, you know to guide you through your life. You know, listen to learn what he did. Now, hopefully, uh, you'll find a way to help him. If not, no matter what, you're going to enjoy it. It's uh, it's it's about jujitsu. We all love yeah. jujitsu. So uh, <laughs> if you're listening to this, you're definitely going to. Uh, enjoy uh, Roy's book and we'll put a link to it on their show notes uh, definitely check it out it's on Amazon and uh, give them some support there you go and don't you know you could use our link if you want but it's not any sort of a paid thing or affiliate is the word I'm looking for just yeah. if you already have Amazon go type in becoming the black belt and it'll pop right up yeah. um, and check out read my review that's on there and, and it, hopefully that'll help you out a little bit speaking of uh, reviews we like to get reviews for this show and so much like I wrote a review for the book that I read that Roy Dean uh, wrote, I, we would much appreciate a review of the show on 
iTunes or in Stitcher Radio or wherever you're listening to this show that has reviews. We greatly appreciate that. Yep, and we're all over the interwebs. Uh, we're on Facebook at BJJ Brick. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. So definitely check us out uh, on the interwebs and uh, tell all your friends about us. Tell, if you like this show, I bet a lot of your friends do jujitsu. You know, tell them about it. Um, and uh, you know, what a better way to uh, to uh, show us that you appreciate our show just by uh, telling your friend to uh, give us a listen. We'd appreciate it. Yep, that's it's always an honor to have somebody give a, like word of mouth at recommendation. You know, like they send an email later. Hey, a friend recommended this show, and uh, I've really enjoyed it and, and learned from you guys. That's huge uh, to hear that we got a new listener, and the huge that somebody else liked us enough to tell us tell them about that. So uh, yeah, that's, that's the cool. biggest compliment we could get. And then uh, the other part, we're always trying to make the show better. So if you do give us a review, we do take that to heart and. Uh, we try to make the show better. Or and if you, if you have an article, if you write a blog, send us uh, one of your articles. Uh, we would definitely uh, could use it for the show. Or if you know somebody, uh, your instructor or, or somebody uh, would be a very good guest on the show, let us know. Yep, we we do an episode every week, Gary. So we're every we're burning week. through like fifty two ish uh, articles a week. You know like, that really adds yeah. up over time. Yeah, so we hear. <laughs> So uh, you know, sometimes we're scrounging for an article. So if you've written one or you have a friend or maybe your coach writes articles, send that to us at bjbrick at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to definitely consider it. Gary, the music. What's up, man? I was going to say, uh, speaking of our article, Stuck in the Middle, uh, if any of you listeners want to uh, go on to our Facebook page and tell us when you were stuck in the middle or you know stuck in a little slump there at Jiu-Jitsu, how did you get out of it? And uh, I think we could share that with our listeners and uh, help everybody else out. So if, if you have some time and you're you're listening this far into the show, go on to our Facebook page and tell us how you got out of your slump when you were stuck in the middle. There we go. It's always good to get new advice from our listeners. Speaking of getting stuck and trying to get out of it, I think Gary's trying to get out of his audiobook uh, commitment <laughs> here. As he's, uh, the music is going, week? buddy, and you're trying to change a topic on us, so... Uh, you know, this is the time of the show when I put Gary on the spot and he discusses his audiobook that he has not even begun to work on, but I know we'll have it done and next week. And I probably week. won't. You probably won't, but you have a ton but of experience. We'll so your audiobook this week is called Email Scams and Slams, How to Do a Digital Armbar. Man, I mean, the nice thing about this one is it's probably my best title ever, Digital <laughs> Armbar. But... Um, what it is, it's just a, it's a day in my life. Um, this one here is really not an ebook. It's just talking about what I do in my regular day. And I'm kind of a strange individual where I love to get those uh, calls from the IRS scam agents. I love to get emails from the Nigerian scam guys, and I just play along with them. I like to keep it going as long as I, long as possible. I, I try to turn the tables on them. Um, Byron knows that I had a probably a month-long conversation with, with somebody in Dakar, I think that's Senegal, um, trying to get me to wire him money, and I was trying to get him to send me a, a T-shirt from his home country, and I never did get the T-shirt, but, um, you know, it's fun. It's fun going back and forth with these guys and trying to play, you know, like I'm, a, like I'm an easy mark, but tr- I always want them to give me something in return, and here lately I've been having a good time because... Uh, I've been getting the IRS agents, uh, the scam <laughs> agents calling me. They, they say they're from Virginia. Uh, 
they, they all sound like they're, you know, maybe from India or, or somewhere out there, and they won't give me their names, but I've had some interesting conversations with them. I, I've, you know, I've, I've actually asked them, you know, I call up out of the blue and ask them if I can apply for a job and how would I go about that, but I've had some conversations. I've tried to get them on this show, like maybe talk to them. I mean, I know it's not BJJ related, but uh, I just want them to just talk about that they, they tell me they don't have any feelings that they're ripping people off of money. And uh, I just think that's horrible. They told me they can make up to $3,000 a day, and, uh, and they're so good at it that nobody can ever find them. So it's just a day in my life. Um, so that's really all this one is about. I'm not giving much advice, but I, I think people might enjoy the read. And that, Gary enjoys, it seems like, uh, jiu-jitsu and, and a few things, you know, family and... And, and friends, and then you should see the look on his face when he gets a call from a scammer. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. It, it kind of lights up a little bit, and, and he'll try to keep them on the phone as long as possible. He will go. It, it seems like he'll go out of his way to like, okay, I got, I got some stuff happening in a few minutes. That's gonna have to hold for now. Um, yes, the, the the cake is in the oven and it's kind of burning, but I gotta talk to this scammer and, and see what I could get out of him. And uh, I always think that's funny. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's actually pretty funny. I, I have a good time doing it. And, uh, and, you know, the way I look at it, as much as I've talked to these guys in the last couple of days, hopefully I, I saved somebody from getting scammed. I just wish I had better skills, like Anonymous, where I could figure out some way to go in and <laughs> shut them down. Yeah, that's uh, the, the, the hacking skills is not, not your forte, but you, you uh, if, if the, the scam artist works 10 hours a day and you take up an hour of that, he probably saved him from contacting uh, two or three people that, that might yeah. have uh, taken the bait. Yeah. But when you said I had no hacking skills, that's not what they used to say when I played basketball. They said I was a hacker, so I do have hacking skills, but it's just in basketball. Nice. It's, uh, we've also talked about your basketball career. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yep. Yeah. Gary, um, so when somebody calls me, Help me out here. How do I know that it's not a legitimate call? This is maybe some real advice. How do I know not to give them my personal information, especially my social security number and birthday, Anybody I guess? Anybody who's calling asking for that, it's not legit. Definitely not legit. How about so, if I call uh, them? Is that if okay? you call them and give it to them? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like you if I them. see the number online and I call that, is that safe? It's not safe to give me your information, but you can have some fun with it. Okay. Do you, so do you give a Never fake give number? You, don't give your, any of your information online. Okay. Date of birth, social security number, credit card number. Do not do it unless you're 100% positive who you're talking to. But still, you know, even if it's your bank calling you, unless you've been talking to them for a long time, you know, and you totally know it's them. If you're not even f- sure, you know, go on down to the bank. Yeah. They shouldn't call you out of the blue. Yeah, if you call yeah. them in the morning and say, hey, I have a question about this, and they call you back in 10 minutes, it's probably them. Yeah, and it's a shame we got people like this in this world who uh, just prey on people. And, uh, you know, they're probably going to strike out 500 times, but they'll hit that 500 first time. And, uh, and uh, you know, they're probably using some of our some of our stuff we were talking about today, never stop. Those guys don't <laughs> stop. Five, no, it's, you know, they're resilient. But uh, it's a shame that somebody would try to steal steal people's money. Yeah. Gary, we uh, like usual, I guess, with our uh, this segment of the show, we do get off topic here, but uh, you managed to bring it back to the article that we had this week. 
Yeah. And hopefully, hey, see, I'm learning. There you go. Hopefully that Catch the criminals will uh, not read that article because it, it's, uh, it's very motivating and it's uh, a lot of good information. Yeah. And then they'll probably start spamming our show once they realize that the guy who keeps calling them is from BJJ Brick. Yep. Gary, guess who we have next week? Who do we got? We got Sean Williams. Awesome. So, Can't beat that. Yeah. He, another uh, legend. Another legend. We And then um, the return of John Will is going to be the week after Sean Williams. So two jam-packed so, weeks. Legend, legend, legend. So uh, can't go wrong with that. Yep. Gary, It's we can't always provide the best advice and, and things on the show ourselves. Well, so we have people come yes. on and do it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been our strategy we're, we're in a long time. Yes, yes. We sub- and, and as we do this, we learn more about jiu-jitsu. So yeah, I think yeah. if you listen to the old shows... Maybe we got a little smarter. I would hope. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. Because we've never stopped. <laughs> At least not yet, We're anyway. Yeah. We're over oh. two years in. There we go. All right, Gary, it's been a lot of fun. And as always, stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shout. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu.